Hi there, I'm Jazzy Cook and I'm here with SciDance, a podcast to open and explore the world of dance science. I'm here today with Lisa Howell, physiotherapist, author, speaker and creator of the Ballet Blog to talk about all things turnout. Having lectured internationally on dance anatomy, injury prevention, recovery and performance enhancement, including at iAdams, Lisa works to educate young dancers, professional dancers and dance teachers. Lisa's extensive series of workshops, online resources and dance education programmes will be linked on her website below. I feel so lucky to have had the chance to steal a little bit of Lisa's time and I hope you enjoy. Hi Lisa, how's it going? Good, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Um, If we just start with a little bit of an explanation of how you got to here in your career because you've obviously got a very diverse background in dance so where your interest in turnout which we're going to talk today stems from and if this came from I guess it's important to you because of where you came from so if you could just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah well when I was dancing when I was young um, I always got told that I had terrible turnout and there were it was my bones and there was nothing I could do and I believed my teacher and so I never really pursued dancing professionally I went straight to university did physio came to Australia, worked as a dance physio, was fantastic. And then it wasn't until I actually paid for one of my staff members to go and do an external massage therapy course. He was a dancer um, and he'd had a degenerative condition that he couldn't dance anymore. And I put him through this massage training and then he came back and he gave me actually a four hour massage. And we didn't plan on it being four hours. He just did everything that they'd done in this eight, 12 week training program. And he did all these amazing deep releases around my hips. And I got off the bed and I did a grand plie and my knees went sideways for the first time ever. And I burst into tears and he said, well, why are you crying? That looks great. <laughs> you don't understand. And it was amazing because I'd always been told it was my bones. Yet I was directly seeing it that at the ripe old age, I think I was 26 at the time, that it totally wasn't. And I realized that I'd been working so hard my entire life to try to turn out. I'd built so much extra tone in my hips that was actually blocking my turnout. So after that little revelation with myself, I started looking at my clients very differently and really focusing on screening their hips in detail in multiple directions and working out actually what is stopping you. Is it bone or is it something else? And started to have really good results with them with taking the time to really work out what tissue it was and then working really um, intelligently and sympathetically with that tissue. So it's changed quite a few people's hips. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So from that really nicely then, dancers can often be told that they just have bad turnout. They're told at a young age, this is it, this is your turnout. Um, And sometimes teachers say it's because of your bones, your bones are like this, that's the way it sits in the hip, this is it. Um, So we'll uncover in this podcast episode that that absolutely is not true. But before we get into it, could you just give listeners an overview so we know what we're dealing with of all the different factors that affect turnout? Yeah, so bone definitely does. You can have different shaped Um, the neck of the femur, neck of the thigh bone, you can have a slightly different angle to your hip socket. You can have the depth of your hip socket. You can have the the size and the direction of your labrum, which attaches to your hip socket. So there are definitely bony elements, but most people blame the bones before they're actually getting limited by the bone. So you also have the involvement of your sacroiliac joint, which is actually quite important. 
you have the, the tone in your ligaments, so the laxity of your ligaments. Some people have more hypermobile ligaments than others. Some people are really tightly bound. Uh, you have the overlying fascial tension. So if you haven't explored what fascia is and you're a dancer, you definitely need to. Just Google what is fascia and go down a rabbit hole. You then have all of the muscles that lay around that area as well, but especially the tone in those muscles. So if you have been trying really hard with turnout, you've often built up a lot of stiffness in those muscles that we can actually work with to open out your range. Yeah, so what I'll take from that is that there's so many different things and I guess it's like a jigsaw puzzle. So you have to find which one is which one's missing for you. Uh -huh or possibly too much there for you. Um, so mm -hmm. if a dancer wants to improve their turnout then, what you sort of talk about the seven ranges of turnout that we need to look at, could you just give us an overview of what these are? Yeah, so when a dancer comes to me and says, I want more turnout, I say, well, which one? Yeah, like, uh, turnout. <laughs> I say, well, you have, yeah, at least seven different ranges. So I like looking at the hip in lots of different positions because you need to use it in lots of different positions when you're dancing and even when you're a regular human. So I look at standing leg turnout where your hip is just neutral in the socket. You have turnout on fondue if you're going into a plie. You have turnout in retire. You have turnout devant, you have sitting in second splits, you have a la seconde, and you have up the back. And what I find is that you may not have great standing leg turnout, but it may be great on fondue. Or you may have heaps of range devant that you never knew about. So learning where are your strengths and where are the ones that you struggle with is super important. Also important to look at each of those of whether you have passive range or active range. Some people have heaps of actual range, but they don't know how to use it. Some people don't have much range, but they're really awesome at using it. So I look at those two things in each of those positions. So technically you have at least 14 different ranges of turnout. Right, so before, this wasn't like prepped, so just on the spot, but what is it in these different ranges that makes them different? Like why, why have you got different ranges in each of these positions? Yeah, um, that's a really hard question to ask, answer because each person is also different. So when I'm testing turnout devon, some people will be limited by bone on bone. Some people will have an anterior impingement. Some people will be tension around the back. Some people will be a pulling in their inner thigh. So whenever I'm testing into any of these ranges, I'm also asking the dancer, what do you feel? Where do you feel it? And trying to establish what is actually blocking them. And this is why there is no one turnout program that is right for everyone, because you need to actually assess what you have today and what you need, that may be different next week. So if you have been in lockdown and not moving, your hips may be in one condition. If you're at a different time of the year where you've been doing classes all the time and you're doing your regular yoga practice and you're walking your dog outside all the time, your hips may be quite different. So I think dancers need to learn that their range is transient. It changes and evolves. And so we need to always be assessing what is it now and what can I do? What does it need now as well? Sure, definitely. So let's take standing leg turnout for an example then. So if a dancer... Mm -hmm struggling with this so you have your typical dancer who would come in to see you what areas is it usually that they're struggling with what, what might the problem be and then I guess how can dancers themselves identify where the problem might be what tools can they use for themselves yeah so if a dancer comes in and they say yeah my standing leg turnout is terrible I first want to establish is their range terrible or is their control terrible 
And are they actually terrible? Because sometimes they've been told they're terrible when they're not. So I look at them with no activation whatsoever. How much can I generate in the hip? And then it depends what they feel. So some people, when I test them like that, they get a pinching in the back of the hip if the capsule is really tight. Some people, it's more of a fascial stretch over the front. Some people, it's a really hard lock in the joint. So again, it depends what that person feels. The tricky thing is that's really hard to do yourself because whenever you're testing yourself, you're using your own muscle activity. And this is why I spend a huge amount of time teaching therapists and teaching teachers how to assess their students because it's really hard to do on yourself. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people in the world don't have access to really highly qualified dance therapists. So there's a lot that your teacher can do. Um, and I encourage all dancers to learn more and more and more about their bodies. So then there's things you can do with a friend, but it's actually something that's very hard to do on your own. Sure. So if we just then, sorry, some main discussion today is the various barriers to turnout and how dancers can work with these to improve their turnout. So if we look at, for example, say the role of muscles, fascia and their bone structure, should we take those three for a, uh -huh. a staple? Um, when might dancers use well, I'll start with what examples of exercises are there to work with turnout to improve these areas and when might dancers use these? Are they particularly effective before class, after class? Yeah, um, I use different strategies at different points. So in your warm up, you're wanting to warm up in your current range. You're not really aiming to increase your range. There's been a huge amount of research on not doing static stretches and things like that, which a lot of dancers has, have historically done. So super important that we're not sitting in sustained stretches, especially before class. So before class, I'm usually focused on neural and fascial mobilizers to gently hydrate the tissues and restore the range that I know the dancer has. I also want to do some activation exercises. So I want to make sure that they are starting with the right foundations. If you wake up all of the deepest baby turnout muscles in your hips before class, you're more likely to use them in class. If you don't, and you've been sitting for three hours at the computer before you go and do class, chances are those deep muscles have gone to sleep and they're not going to kick in as much as they would if you gave them a little nudge. Hey, hey, are you awake? Can you come and help me here? So I find before class, dynamic mobilizers and activation exercises are really, really important to help prep your body for class. You then have different things that you do in your dance conditioning phase. So this is something that I think needs to be scheduled into your program. It should be part of your normal scheduling for your week. My um, uh, formula is that for every five hours of dancing you do a week, you have at least half an hour of additional cardio, half an hour of mobilizing type self-massage exercises, at least an hour of dance conditioning -y type exercises. So that then builds up if you're doing 25 hours a week, then you're doing five hours of conditioning at least per week. So in those sessions, I use a little mantra of mobilize, isolate, integrate, function, load, which is where we create space, we mobilize everything, make sure it's nice and available. We isolate, wake up the little baby muscles, integrate, teach groups of muscles how they should fire, a function, how is it meant to happen in class, and then I load. 
So that's when we start adding resistance or endurance or speed. The problem that I've seen is heaps of people load, so they use a TheraBand or weights or something like this before they have a good pattern. And that's where we have issues. So it's super important, mobilize, isolate, integrate, function, load is my little mantra. And anytime we're working on a skill, I make sure that they have something in each of those categories. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So then, <laughs> as a dance teacher, so if you're a dance teacher and you had students in your class with all ranges of turnout, which you're always going to get, what would your advice be to help all students maximize their use of turnout? Because it's difficult to encourage different levels in students without them comparing themselves to each other. Because if you have a student with amazing turnout, you obviously want them to be using that as much as they can, but you don't want any other students to feel like bad about their level of turnout so how would you what advice would you give to teachers in this situation I actually do a lot of workshops with groups of kids um, groups of students and we go through the assessing the hip first and they find it fascinating because often the student who had everyone thinks has great turnout they may have it in one direction but they don't necessarily have it somewhere else and the kid who thinks they don't have good turnout actually has great turnout demand and the kid who doesn't think that they're very great actually has better strength and control than the kid who's super gamby and mobile. So I find it a really interesting thing to do it with a group and they find which things they're good at and which things they're not great at. And I think that's really important. It's also super important that they learn to observe each other in regards to the control. We do a lot of work in the involvement of your turnout control at the hip in supporting your foot, which helps keep your foot nicely placed. If you're losing control from the hip, that's often when we start getting an overly pronated foot. So instead of just lifting the arch, it's important that the control is actually happening from higher up. And I find that once they start working on that, we do find that those super floppy ones who think they're amazing, sometimes not quite as amazing as they thought they were. And the ones who've always been doubting themselves actually go, hang on, I can actually do this. And they get much more inspired. It's, it's tricky for teachers because they say, how can I get the kids not to compare themselves to each other? They are going to compare themselves, but give them the right things to compare. Yeah, there is no way that you can stop them comparing, um, but looking at what they have and giving them the tools in order to get better. So they're not just on, you know, focused on that thing that mom and dad gave them is I think super important. Yeah, definitely. So off that then, what advice would you give to students? So they are going to compare each other. Turnout's unique to everyone and kids kids do they look at the other kids in the class so what advice would you give to them on how to I guess develop their own range of turnout and be comfortable with that yeah I often use examples some of the most successful dancers I know had shocking turnout when they were young I have one girl who's had one of the best professional careers and when she was um, in her mum's tummy the last three months she basically sat in a v-sit with her legs up the front Later, she said, if only I'd put them to the side. So she had ridiculous hamstrings, but no turnout. And a sports physician, when she was about nine, said, you've got 25 degrees of turnout, you'll never be a dancer. She's now 29, as in been dancing professionally since she was 21. So, oh, earlier. Um, so she was amazing because she had to work at it so much. She even, at one point, she was at Rombe in London, and she had the director of the school down on the floor in his office teaching him about his turnout after she handed in one of her projects because he realized that she actually knew a hell of a lot more about turnout than he had actually seen before. So she had to work for it. 
But because she had to research it so much, she was fantastic at using everything that she had. And you could never tell when she was dancing that she ever had an issue with her range. So I think it's important for dancers to go, yes, it's important, but it doesn't, it's not the be all and end all of dancing. There are phenomenal dancers who don't have naturally great hips. You do need to learn how to work them and to be safe with them, but you don't have to have flat turner in order to be a dancer. Yeah, definitely. So looking at being safe then with our turnout, so are there any considerations? So for dancers sat here thinking, oh my God, okay, there's lots of things I can do here to go and work on my turnout by myself at home. What would your advice be on how to ensure that is a safe thing to do for them? Okay. My number one thing I always ask, what do you feel? So if you are trying to move into second splits, if I have 10 students in a class, they can all be feeling something different. Some may feel a pull on the inside of their knee. Some may feel a pull down into their calf. Some may feel a pinching in the groin. Some may feel it stuck at the back of the hip. Some may feel a nice stretch in their inner thighs. The important thing is a zero pain. It should not be painful. Um, and I put a big focus on that. I also um, make sure it shouldn't feel like it has to crack or you shouldn't have to give it a bit of a snap before you go into range, which most of us have learned how to do at some point. The other thing that I stress is I use traditional stretches as tests rather than as exercises. So if you're trying to improve into second, we know now that we shouldn't sit in second splits, but I go into second and go, what do you feel? One person feels a nerve pull. They know a neural mobilizer that they can do and then they retest. Some person might feel uh, pulling in the, the fascia down on the inside thigh. They know how to deal with fascia, so they do their own release for that. If somebody feels a gentle muscular stretch, it may be okay to go into that. If somebody's feeling a pinching in their, in their groin, really not okay to sit there. So this is why I stress that we have to learn about our bodies and we have to learn as much as possible because I can never say sitting in second is bad for everyone. For some people, it may be okay, but for some people, it's the worst thing they can do for their hips. So always go, what do I feel? Does this feel bad? Um, does it feel like a nervy pulley feeling? Nerves don't like being stretched. Don't hang out there. Does it feel like something's being squashed? Things don't like being squashed. Don't hang out there. If it's a gentle stretch and you're not going to be dancing in the next hour or so, it may be okay to sit there for a little while. But we've got to be really, really careful with those traditional stretches that everyone grew up doing. Yeah, that's something that comes up time and time again in these podcasts is an individual approach. We have to treat every student as their own student. And I think that's so important to take away from every single one. Um, but it's something that's easier to do as a therapist. It's really hard to do in a class. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, this is, I've been working really closely with teachers to try and give them strategies for teaching the students how to monitor themselves, because th this is where the problem is. Therapists can easily do it because we see one person, we have them for an hour. It's a piece of cake for us. Doing it in a class of 20 is really tricky, but this is where education is absolute key. And taking the time to have mini workshops where you can explore this kind of thing to empower students so that they can do it in the regular class, I think is the best idea. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So for the dancers listening then, what advice would you give them if they're looking to the, increase their turnout but they're not sure where to start? So they're hearing all these terms and they're like, okay, but I don't really know where, I'm, where I should start. What would be the first place they should go to look at this? Yeah. 
if you go to my YouTube channel, um, I've now color organized everything. So the turnout channel is kind of this purpley color. Um, there's some videos on there about the anatomy of turnout, about um, all those different ranges of turnout, things like that, exercises to find your standing leg turnout. If you want to learn more, we have a tips for turnout program, which is a nice kind of simple introduction. We have a training turnout program, um, which goes into more the assessment of the hips. And then we have higher level ones, such as how to get your legs higher in a développé devant, which is much more about the fine cueing and the fine patterning that you need to have to stop getting really grippy in your quads when you're trying to increase your adage. Sure. So I think that's a fab introduction to turnout today. But um, is there anything else you'd like to discuss or mention? Well, I think the biggest thing is that everyone needs to continue learning. Therapists need to continue learning. Teachers need to continue learning. Students need to continue learning. Um, it's actually why I've pulled away from doing um, clinical work. I actually closed my clinic last year and have been completely focused on dance teacher and therapist education. So I was running workshops all around the world. That now doesn't happen, but we've converted everything. Luckily, I had actually filmed everything. So I have an online teacher training um, a membership that previously has only been open to people who have done the courses, but within the next month, that'll be opened up to teachers all around the world who haven't um, for a very limited number of people. Keeping an eye out for courses when we do do them. Um, we are having to do everything via Zoom. So now at least nobody's limited by space and time. Um, but I think the biggest thing is to go, your body is in a constant state of reformation. Anatomy is fascinating. And diving into understanding your own body is one of the most fabulous things that you can do, whether or not you end up dancing long term. So use this as a time to learn about your own body, learn about your hips, what they like, what they don't like, how yours is different from somebody else's, and just get excited about how much you can transform your body with a bit more knowledge. Sure. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your time today. It's been amazing to talk to you. My pleasure. Lisa's contact details and social media will be in the description box below the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again next Monday for another episode of Psy Dance.